Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Due to some technical difficulties, the sound quality of this week's message isn't quite as good as usual. Um, good morning. It's Easter. So um, I thought we should probably talk about the cross. Um, what, what, what does the, the cross, what does it mean? And you could probably give me 20 different answers that would all be correct to that question. So we're going to look at it from one particular angle today. And there's some clues on the stage of what that angle might be. Um, so what does the cross mean? And think of the cross as a tree. And there are a, a few places in the New Testament where the cross is specifically called a tree. So, Tim, can we get those three verses up? Um, okay. So, in Acts, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom he killed by hanging him on a tree. In Galatians, um, it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And 1 Peter, um, he himself all our sins in his body on the tree. They don't call it a cross, they call it a tree. And that's a slightly strange thing to call it, don't you think? Because it's a cross, not a tree. So why do they call it a tree? And, and these three passages are significant because Acts was written by Luke, Galatians was written by Paul, 1 Peter was written by Peter. So these are consistently different authors like to use this, this word, tree, when they describe their cross. And um, it's a bit weird, isn't it? So, why do they do that? Um, the tree is you know, a really important kind of character in the Bible. Would you believe it if I said there are more tree references in the Bible than there are God references? Don't believe it's not true. <laughs> but more tree references than there are people in the Bible. <laughs> but more tree references, and there are animals in the Bible. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, that really is true, which is still now seems less impressive than that. But, but it is still a lot of mentions of trees. And the thing about the word tree in Hebrew is actually we have loads of words for tree, wood, lumber, timber, all sorts of words for dead trees and log. Which, um, which in Hebrew, they just use the word tree. There's no difference. And so when we talk about trees, we would separate those kind of two concepts, tree and wood. But in the Old Testament, it's all one word. So whenever you see the word wood or log, you can see, just think, oh, that's, that's a tree. And so um, when we talk about, I say, a thousand mentions in the Old Testament of trees, we're talking about trees, wood, all those words, and then you've got specific like sycamore, oak, terebinth trees, one they are, um, gopher, uh, vines, um, fig trees, what else do they have? Cedars, palm trees, there's loads and loads and loads of different types of trees mentioned in the Bible. And so, what is the significance of all of these trees? Well, you can probably guess it starts on the very first page of the Bible. God creates this garden. This garden is filled with trees. 
and there are two very specific trees which are both in the middle of the garden. We have one tree over here which looks beautiful. It's fruit that's good to eat. We have this other tree over on this side which looks beautiful and fruit looks good to eat. And so how do you know which one is good to eat from? The one God tells you to eat, right? <laughs> it's this one over here. Eat from that one. Don't eat from that one. And we all know how it goes. They eat from the bad tree. Um, and so where this tree of life, which represents dependence on God, trusting what he said is good, um, versus this kind of false tree of life, which looks good, we think it looks good, actually God has said it's not good, and so it kind of represents this dependence on our own goodness, dependence on ourselves, um, rebellion from God, and these two trees throughout loads of stories in the Bible just become you know, represented by a, a single tree. So any time you see a tree in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, but it, it carries through to the New Testament as well, but you should be thinking, okay, so is this a tree of life or is this a, a false tree, is it a, a tree of knowledge? Is this a tree that represents dependence on God or is this a tree that represents rebellion from God? The consequence of choosing the false tree is that at that moment, thorns and briars appear in the ground. And so, the Bible kind of builds in this picture of these false trees. Up until then, there were loads of trees, but no mention of anything like thorns. And so these kind of bad trees, if you like, kind of break into the world. They, they start taking over. And so it, it develops that picture. So we've got the test, we've got beautiful trees, we've got thorns, there's sort of a, a picture of the consequence of the test. And um, I'm going to hand it over to you guys for a minute because there are so many stories about trees. Um, I'm just going to get you to turn to someone next to you and just for one minute just list as many times as you can think of that trees or wood or any type of tree appears in the Bible. You've got one minute. How many can you publish? Okay. Hopefully you've got a nice long list that you come up with. Does anyone want to shout out one of their a tree story in the Bible? Yeah. The stable made out of wood. Is it specifically does it say it's a wooden stable? That's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Zacchaeus in the tree. Very good. I'm actually going to come back to that one later. Which one? The fig tree outside Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. And that's a really good one in terms of options to get text because Jesus kind of compares Mark in the Gospel of Mark, compares this story of the fig tree, which is standing outside Jerusalem, with this story of something that happened inside Jerusalem, and he comes back. And Jesus cursed the fig tree and died. And by pairing it that way, um, the story of the tree, where he says, Look, here's a test for Jerusalem, and he's failed. Any others? Very hot. Go on. Very 
The burning bush, yeah, absolutely. That is one of Moses' biggest tests. Is he going to follow what God says when he comes back to the tree in the presence of God? Yeah, very good. Yeah. There are lots of vineyards in the Bible. Is there one you have in mind? Any of them? Any of them? Any of them? Yeah. Um, the yeah, Hebrew, you translated specifically, I translated literally, a uh, vine is a grape of wood. Grape of the wood, it's called. So, yeah, it is that same grape of the tree. That tree was absolutely in there. So, every time you see um, vine or vineyard, you should have trees on the brain. There's probably some kind of test involved. Um, one that comes to mind is in Isaiah. This is like an Old Testament parable. Um, Isaiah says how God planted this vineyard and he expected grapes, but there were no grapes. And so what are you going to do? He lets that overgrow with thorns and then this whole kind of picture of, yeah, Israel failed the test and thorns of here. Building the temple, yeah. There's, um, in the first, in the first tabernacle, there's loads of acacia wood all over the place. Um, and then when the temple comes, there's loads of cedar wood all over the place. For Solomon, it's almost a test of, he's been commissioned to build this temple, and this is going to trust in foreign nations, we're going to send him loads of wood. And I don't want to read too much into it. But yeah, there's the, the temple is filled with wood, and a lot of it is just to kind of have that Eden garden image of Israel. Noah's ark was made of wood, absolutely, yeah. So was Noah going to build this wooden thing, which seemed totally crazy? Um, yeah, he passed that test, didn't he? Mustard seed. Mustard seed, yeah. Yeah, faith aside of a mustard seed. It will grow into a tree, become a tree of life, if you like. Jesus hung himself on a tree. Jesus hung himself on a tree. That is a good one. I'm going to talk about people hanging, people being hanged on trees in a minute. It's about to get really joyful. <laughs> Jonah. Yeah, there's this weird story at the end of Jonah where he is really grumpy that God's just rescued Nineveh. And God makes this plant tree thing grow over him. And Jonah's still really grumpy. Tree dies. And it's, yeah, a weird, like, what's the problem with that story? And the tree really unlocks it, because you're like, this was Jonah's death, this wasn't about me. It's good. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's where we're headed, back to where we're headed at the end, into Revelation, tree of life is still there. Wonderful. Okay. The story for me, which is like really shows the test of what the tree means. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Um, thank you. So Genesis 22, it starts with this, but Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So in Hebrew, it just looks like he's placed a tree on his back. And Isaac is walking up the hill with his tree. And it, mentions the wood like over and over and he placed the wood there and he placed his son on the wood and the wood was there. We've got the wood but where's the it uses the word wood so many times in this passage. Um, if you don't know the story, um, Abraham has just been told to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
And it seemed like the worst thing in the world that Abraham trusts God and he goes as he's going to do it. And he makes his son carry the wood on his back up to the hill. And having this picture and comparing it with the story of Jesus carrying the cross up the hill to his own death, it asks all sorts of interesting questions. So whose test was it? At that point, it's a test of the father, isn't it? Is the father willing to sacrifice his son? That kind of there's all sorts of things to was this a test for, for God for Jesus to die on the cross? Who's who's testing God? And I'm not gonna answer any of questions, I'm just gonna answer them and let you think about them. Um, and and then comes the, the brilliant moment where God says, No, don't do it, don't do it. The angel of the Lord appears, don't go. I know that you're going to do it. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And it introduces this whole other thing of an innocent life being given as a substitute. Um, but you know what? What's a thicket? It's a group of trees. It's a dense cluster of trees. So they're out of the trees, and we carried the tree, they're in the trees, the tree of life, which has fruit to the... That's good. <laughs> okay. This was Abraham's biggest test. He had quite a few tests. This was his biggest one, though. It's a good one to pass, wasn't it? This tree theme gets adapted as well, and we had Jesus hanging on the tree. So there's another kind of tree image which is introduced by this bizarre law in Deuteronomy. Which, yeah, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he has put death, and you hang on a tree, there's a lot of ifs, isn't it? His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile the land for your God, your God has given you an inheritance. It's a pretty real law. If you hang someone on a tree, make sure they don't eat them overnight. This is the summary. And there's potentially some link here to the Passover lamb, that they had to eat it all on the same day, they couldn't leave it the next day. Just a theory about what that was about. But there were quite a few characters that get hung on trees, and some of them you may or may not recognize the language. So, the first one has already happened one time with this law. Give it for us, Tim. Slide down. Um, I'll tell you which one it is. It is the baker in the story of Joseph, who is in prison with the cupbearer and the baker. And the cupbearer has his head lifted, his head is restored to serve the king again. And the baker has his head lifted off from his body, and his body is on a tree, it's, it's a gruesome picture. But um, it's this image of one person being restored, and one person being judged, one person being blessed, and another person being cursed, and the cursed one is hung on a tree. And it's, a, it's a picture of God has cursed this person. This is a, to be hung on a tree is to be cursed by God. It's a bad place to be. And then there are a few more very obscure stories. So just after Joshua has captured Jericho, he goes and captures I, 
Okay? He hangs the king of Ai on a tree until evening. But he follows the Lord, doesn't he? At sunset, Joshua commanded they took his body down from the tree. They didn't leave it overnight. Stuff. And then another one, immediately afterwards, um, there's these five kings of the nation of the Amorites. Um, and the, these five kings have come, and we've, but we found them, and they're hidden in a cave. And what does Joshua say to do? Roll a stone in front of the cave. And we're like, oh, how does this fit please the story? <laughs> and put men by it to guard. What he does is later, when he's finished his battle, he comes back and deals with the kings. He rolls away the stone, king goes to the side, he hangs the five kings on five trees, and then takes them down the fourth one. Just messes with my head. How the Easter story is like a complete reversal of that, isn't it? Where Jesus was hung on the tree and then placed in a tomb and the stone was rolled away and then his body wasn't there. It's almost like a complete inversion of this very obscure story in the middle of Joshua. Um, and the reason I want to present these stories to you is because when the initial audience have been reading these gospel accounts, they had all these stories in their mind, and they were really thinking, oh wow, Jesus is completely undoing everything we know, we think we know about the curse, what it means to hang on a tree. There's one more story, I hope, we've got Mark Hang on the Tree, one which you probably know quite well, but again, the vocabulary is often translated as hang on the gallows, but it's the same word, just hang on a tree. Um, Haman, in the story of Esther, he sets up this gallows that was intended for Mordecai. Mordecai was an innocent man, and instead, the guilty person ends up getting hanged. So when you load this story into the Easter picture, what death and sin and the devil had intended to hang Jesus on the cross, he did, Jesus endured it, but also sin was hung there itself, defeated on the tree. Jesus came down and came back to life, but sin was there and was defeated, just like Hagar was hung on his own gallows. I think that's great. One final way which the Old Testament messes with your mind in terms of trees. It's, it's this picture that people are trees. And it's possible to become a tree of life. You have this verse from Psalm 1. Just jump down to near the end because it's a long time. Um, the person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit next season, whose leaf does not wither. So a person is like a tree, so beside a stream of water, it's the picture of the tree of life in the middle of Eden. Um, but there's lots of ways which people can be trees. So I'm a true vine, Jesus says, I'm, I'm a tree. People bear fruit, don't they? The main word for descendants in the Old Testament is seed. For a woman to be barren in the Old Testament, that word barren, translated, is, is unrooted. It's like you're disconnected from the family tree. 
If you pass the test, then you become a tree of life. Your fruit that you bear become fruit for someone else to become a tree of life. <coughs> if you fail the test, badly enough, you may be cursed some kind of a tree. Wisdom is described as a tree of life. She's personified as a woman in the book of Proverbs that says, Wisdom is a tree of life. And coming back to Zacchaeus, that story, when you find it with all of these stories loaded in your mind, Zacchaeus climbs up a tree in Hyde Park. He looks like fruit in the tree. And you're thinking, is he going to be tree of life fruit, or is he going to be tree of rebellion fruit? <coughs> and when Jesus picks that fruit, I think, the tax collectors, it's surely it's bad fruit. But then he spends time with Jesus and he dies for himself. All of his desires, everything he values, he sets aside and he gives back to everyone four times what he took. What do trees do except turn one seed into lots of fruit? So for Jesus, his, he went through several rooms of testing his life, but his biggest test was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just before he was killed, he had seemingly this moment where he was like, do I go through with it or not? In a garden surrounded by trees. Then he was hung on the tree, but Jesus was cursed. To be hung on the tree was like the ultimate shame, cursed by God, who's in that position that all of us should have been in, and all of those who hated him and mocked him should have been in. But Jesus knew, and even he said, that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce much fruit. And then when he rises from the grave, and Mary can't find him, she hears someone behind him who is it? She thinks it's the gardener. She thinks it's the person who takes care of all the trees and plants more trees. That's who she thinks it is. Jesus was the only one who passed the test every single time. He was the only one that consistently bore good fruit in his life. But he knew that unless he paid the price and died, none of us could really bear fruit and become tree of life as well. He hung on the cross, wearing the crown of thorns, that symbol of God's failure, to turn those thorns into a tree of life. He became the ultimate tree of life, greater than the tree in the garden, because in the tree in the garden, if I take from this fruit, the tree of life apparently becomes a danger to me. Now that I am living in rebellion, this tree is a problem, so God exiles and that's done. But because of the blood of Jesus, taken from this fruit, he's paid the price for that as well. And so I can keep taking from the tree of life, even after I've sinned. There's a whole other picture on sacrifices and Passover that we would have to go through to bridge and back up. But he's even greater than the tree of life in Eden. And it brings us on to Revelation at the end, where 
This is a picture of Arid County with God. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve drops of fruit, bearing fruit in everyone, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. This is a tree that not only brings life, but also brings healing. I don't know how you picture that, one tree on both sides of the river. It's incredible. As it's the picture that completes the trajectory. So the tree represents a test, it represents a curse, it represents who we can be, but then at the end, it's our eternal hope. The test then is arguably a one-time thing. We've got people being baptised next week. They're making a single choice in their life. They see this tree before them and they go, I'm going to choose to trust God. I think I really see it as every day, hundreds of times a day, we face little tests. Are we going to trust in God or are we going to choose rebellion? And where this image is really helpful is that there are trees everywhere. And so whenever you see a tree, you can think about this. You can think, there is a test in front of me, there is a choice before me. Am I going to choose to trust God or am I going to choose to evaluate God? If you consistently make the choice to trust God on all the small things, and when that big test comes along, am I going to give my life save the entire history of humanity as Jesus faced that test. Because he had always chosen to trust God in every scenario, he was able to trust in that huge, huge test. Also because he's God and you know. But for us, if we practice daily on all of those, on every single tree you see, making that choice to trust then we're going, oh, it's okay, I'm only hurting myself, it doesn't really matter. This one can slide, it's not a big deal. If we practice, then there is always a test before us, there's a choice for me to make here, am I going to trust God? Yes, I trust him. Yes, I trust him. Yes, I trust him. And when those big choices come along, is our default to yes, I trust him. There is an invitation to have the fruit from the tree of life. It's, it's here before us. Jesus is the true vine. He is the tree of life. The fruit of the vine is, is what he's given us to remember him by. We can, we can have that fruit. He said, do this and do it often. So whenever you see a tree, we do it a lot when we're now family. We go, oh, look at the blossom of that tree. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? You can't fail to do it if you walk through the street at this time of year. Whenever you see a tree, you think, yeah. God, how am I tree? He was cursed, so I have to be. If, whenever you see a tree, you think, thank you, God, for doing that. 
Whenever you see a tree, you think, what is the choice before me today? How can I choose to trust God? It builds, it builds habits, it builds character. Whenever you do trick the vine, if you just load this extra set of pictures into your mind, of, wow, this is, the, this is the fruit of the tree of life, which I've been given to. If you would like to have some fruit from the tree of life, um, come forward now while the band um, start playing some music and we're going to grab some and just, you don't have to be silent, but why not use this time to just think about what it means to put God on the tree in our place.